Ladies and gentlemen, mesdames, messieurs, we are joined this week by the dangerously deep and dapper David Gornowski. Hello, David. How you doing? Good. Um, thank you so yeah, much for coming on. Jason, you should do radio, man. That's good. <laughs> well, uh, I uh, I did uh, I did train for a year in journalism and uh, and with radio broadcasting as a more or less major. This is like not, late '90s, and at the time, uh, I remember my uh, going into first year radio class, and uh, the teacher had us. He said basically to the class, like, uh, "Raise your hand if you want to be an on air personality." And so the majority class raised their hands. He's like, I hate to break this to you, but uh, digital radio is coming in. Yeah, the DJs and I stuff is, is going to be dead. So most of you won't get that job. Uh, yeah. co- concentrate on production. <laughs> no one knew that podcasting was ever going to be a thing. So, right. um, so it, was, it was bad advice in some ways. Good advice from that vantage point, but sort of bad future advice in general. But it's just the deep voice, really. I, I, I stammer too much to, I think, be a a true professional like yourself oh i don't know man i'm thinking about going into online only and and moving away from terrestrial radio but that maybe there's another time of conversation so we'll see but i think i think you're right i think we uh too many people think well it's not just radio it's also all these different forms like podcast there's a lot of people who think they can do a good show uh, because they caught on to a good idea and it's fine. Everybody should talk, do whatever they want. But, um, you know, it's kind of, I see media personalities like pro wrestling, you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I try to think like a Vince McMahon, ty- a young Vince McMahon who's looking for talents and personalities who've got charisma and a lot of people in the pro wrestling business, they're like, you know, they're like, Oh, I could be a wrestler. I, I go to the gym all the time. I'm, uh, I'm a big buff guy this should be easy. Just pick this guy up and throw him and learn how to take a punch. It's like, that's not actually what makes an interesting character that sells merchandise. You have to have a kind of personality, a kind of charisma. And it's not all about perfection on the mic. Even it's just, there's a certain, you know, you got to have it or you don't. And I think that will continue to create cream rising to the top. And then the next few years as the audio format uh, starts to winnow into people who really have lasting ideas versus people who come and go based on a fad of an idea or something, you know? Well, we had to, we, we invited you on to talk about Gerard, which is something that you've talked at length with, uh, you, uh, your show, I'll let you introduce yourself to, uh, all the nice people out there listening. Um, but you have two basic shows. Uh, the neighbor's choice is, is your main, uh, podcast slash radio show. And then you also have the, your, I would would you call it a secondary show? I'm not sure how you would define it. Uh, uh, called Things Hidden, which is where you really deal with a lot of Girard, uh, amongst other topics. Um, but you've had some of our favorite guys on, like Father Turbo and uh, Luke Burgess. Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself to the nice people out there, David? And then we can kind of go from there. Because uh, one of the things you're just saying is that, you know, in this sort of podcasting space, the the number one model right now uh, is Joe Rogan, I think, you know, by, by and large, uh, across platforms. And it will be interesting to see, uh, as this matures, it would, we'll see how, what the future of the internet is in, uh, in the next 10 years, even, but, uh, if this keeps maturing the way it is, I suspect you'll start seeing more and more models. That's 10, that usually is, is how these things kind of play out. And as you get more models, 
then you'll see more diversity within the within the field because i mean generally speaking kind of people kind of fall into certain categories um unless you're doing you know what's the number one downloads other than joe rogan i think is murder mysteries as 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 podcast like that that it's by far the biggest the biggest genre <laughs> um right. you know what we're doing here is we're just scraping trying to find audience basically we're not rogan or npr no <laughs> we're we're falling outside all the boxes basically but but we're authentic so that uh at least lets me uh sleep well at night so uh, david uh, uh let the nice people know uh, all about you well, I, 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 as you said, I do a, a daily radio show, two hours a day live on uh, FM and AM in Tampa Bay. And it's also online at our website, a neighborschoice.com. The show's called A Neighbor's Choice, which kind of has a Girardian flavor to it in the sense of like, you know, what is what choice? Who's the neighbor and what choice are they making? So I've had so many people in the talk radio industry, the professionals, the experts that train the Hannity's and everybody tell me, you just need to call yourself David Gronoski show. I'm like, no, I can't. I just can't. You know, I have to say something that makes that's clunky and ridiculous and kind of flies in the face of conventional entertainment. And whether I succeed or not, I will go down with, you know, stubbornly holding down to some of my uh, ideas on that. Uh, that cut against the grain, they either succeed or they don't. You know, like Peter Thiel says, you know, a, a, a great idea for a new business that changes the game is usually what sounds like a terrible idea. And most of them fail. But every now and then they some some of them, some of those terrible ideas conventionally can seen as terrible actually make it. And I don't know which one's mine going to be at the end of this uh, media work that I do. But we also do a podcast called Things Hidden, which is a reference to uh, Rene Girard's uh, great book, Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World, uh, which is a reference to what Jesus talks about when he says, I've come to reveal things hidden since the foundation of the world. The world in this context, we believe, is more of a social uh, structure, not necessarily the physical birth of the universe, um, that this is something that's referring to the cosmos as, uh, you know, princes and principalities and and the, the things that uh, that actually deal with culture and how we make sense of who we are as human beings. In other words, anthropology. And it's my contention that if we don't have an anthropology undergirding our understanding of Jesus, we will not have the means by which to properly uh, understand the news of our time, to make sense of it, and to have proper action uh, to move forward. I think Christians should be considered the progressives in society. We are the progressives of society, but somehow because we got into a disembodied Jesus, a kind of Gnostic mentalism, and I don't know, everybody's got a, everybody's got a scapegoat about why that happened. If they do recognize it is a problem, some people say it's that church, this church, the West, East, who knows? I mean, look, look, we can have infinite debates about why we have this mentalism, why we have this disembodied Jesus, but the bottom line is we functionally do. And I'm trying to be kind of pragmatic. That's why I don't get into, oh, is it this church or that church, which is a good team? I might have an opinion on that, but I think it's more important that we've got a society that's up in flames. Our children are being told to uh, remove their genitalia, and, and we can't, we don't have time to fuck around, uh, excuse me, we don't have time to mess around with all these ideas about uh, who's the best church? Let's get it done. Let's incarnate and disem and start getting rid of this disembodied notion of Jesus, which is basically like 
Barabbas. I mean, that's what we have today. If you look at the biblical text with uh, the Gospels, you have that story where they say, here's Barabbas and here's Jesus. In the early text, they it refers to Barabbas as Jesus too. There's two Jesuses. And I think society continually chooses the wrong Jesus. You know, the Jesus that the crowd chose is the Jesus Barabbas, the one who was a revolutionary figure. You know, the one who uses violence to, to stave off violence. And we have a lot of folks today, you know, the January 6th thing, you know, people going in there, oh, we got to stop this with, with, you know, and some of them decided to go and be violent. And the spirit of the crowd is always going to be the spirit of Barabbas. And the spirit of the crowd is never going to choose the path of Jesus Christ, even the ones who say they're Christians. Unfortunately, you know, Soren Kierkegaard was right when he said that the crowd is a lie. And that lie is the lie of Satan. Satan is the idea that we have to have this kind of, well, there's different aspects of Satan, but this idea of a revolutionary overthrow because of the, the violence and injustices that we see around us. But that is what motivates all the different errors of politics today, on the left and the right. And it all is rooted, I think, in a disembodied Jesus. If you, if you believe that Jesus is another God that you can pick and mentally assent to, then you're not following Jesus functionally. You know, you may have heard about a guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and you may agree with the possibility that he died on the cross and rose again even, and you may say your prayers to the word Jesus in your head, but are you actually following Jesus with that? We're not the first persons in the world to say, say a prayer to somebody. You know, people have said prayers to all kinds of folks and names through history whenever they're in a tight spot, whenever they want justice, whenever they want a cure for a disease. So is learning about the news event that there was a guy who was a Jewish man 2000 years ago and he walked the earth and he healed and he said good things about love and the people got irritated with him and they decided to kill him. And then three days later, he rose again. And if you truly believe that event happened... And if you say sorry to that same name, therefore, you are a member of Jesus. Now, other churches put on other, okay, you've got to join this church. This is the true church. Take this ritual, take this baptism and all that stuff. But fundamentally, you're still at that same place most of the time in terms of how people properly conceive of what does it mean to be a Christian. A Christian believes about things. <clears throat> to me, that's the same disembodied approach to say, well, a young black man cannot participate in the effects of Martin Luther King's movement until he truly believes that Martin Luther King died and lived and he, he went to this protest and he went to this city and he said these words. And if you truly believe it, then the effects of what that man's movement did apply to your life. That's the same way we teach Christianity to this day. How stupid is that, right? That's not what Christianity is about. You know, I mean, that, I mean, how dumb is that? You know, again, whether you like Martin Luther King or not, I know people are doing a lot of revisionism about some of the things he did with adultery and all this stuff. But the point is, is there's an objective change that he made in American history uh, that people are recipients of. Whether you believe certain things about his life or not, they affected and you are in that fishbowl of his effect in your life. <clears throat> And that's the same way we need to think of, of Jesus' mission and Jesus' movement in history. You know, that it's an objective change of history, and you're either going to wake up to that fact and start living accordingly to it, or you're going to continually rebel against it, whether you're saying your prayers to Jesus at night or not. 
sorry. It's <laughs> a good intro because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's something we've we've sort of happened into with this show through you know our own personal history and just the topics we've we've come across is okay. You know, my history with the church was was being fed up with that kind of okay. So they say a prayer and they do a thing and then they go away and there's no there's no practical element of it and we're trying to figure out okay well what does that mean like what you just said i guess you could call it a praxis like is there what is the what does it mean to 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 do what you're explaining there and how do you, how do you do that in your life something more than just recit you know what what's the quote from the bible the empty recitation of prayers yeah yeah my my personal story was basically being a uh, an atheist for a very, very long time, sort of an atheist, anti-theist, uh, having a revelation, coming to God um, over the last few years uh, and moving into the orthodox uh, sphere of things. I haven't started my catechism, so I'm still essentially an observer. Um, but one of the things that, and I think this is this is a good point uh, to go, to, to flow from, because I think what's central, what one of the things that really got, me attracted to orthodoxy there's many things but um the orthodox uh centralized sacrifice and suffering with uh, it, it's that's those are almost very paramount things to understand in both ritual and praxis and in the way they understand christ and the way they understand their their belief essentially um and i think that's to get to your question like wh where did we go wrong or how did we get to this point? Um, you know, I think as, as life became easier, uh, somewhere in the 19th century, people started to have a, uh, conflict with, with sacrifice itself and suffering. Um, they started to lose their, lose that societal, um, understanding of what sacrifice and suffering really, really is. Um, and, and as that, as, and as that transferred itself, to other forms, then we start losing the whole concept of, of suffering for, you know, that God's love includes suffering. It's not, it's not a separate thing. So then that gets us into, an, into, into, you know, what a lot of the Sam Harris's of the world and, uh, and many others, especially people who adopt sort of a more Buddhist kind of mind frame or a vitalist kind of mind frame is that they always will talk about the ending of suffering, you know, reducing or ending suffering in the world, which is the, which is one is it's I think it's impossible, but two, it's that's the almost the antichrist of, of 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 the modern day, which is like you're inverting suffering, saying that suffering itself is 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 bad, is wrong, and needs to be needs to be eliminated. When it's only through suffering that we can come to God, only through suffering can we can we receive grace, and only through suffering can we can we can we grow. Uh, it's built into the system. Uh, uh, so, so one of the things that got me into Jouard was that uh, was that he talked. I mean, I, I, the first book I read or listened to was uh, "Violence in the Sacred," where he really gets into the idea of sacrifice uh, and the scapegoat mechanism is 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 very very uh, associated with that, especially in ancient cultures, um, and then gets into how Christ the the um, the crucifixion and, and the and the um, and the resurrection breaks 
the scapegoat mechanism completely. So I've talked about this on the podcast a few times. Uh, you are much more elegant <laughs> and eloquent at explaining these things than I am. Um, I get, I just, I threw a lot at you there, David. You pick whatever you like uh, and go from there. If you like, if you if you want to maybe explain to Mark and, and anyone listening uh, what the scapegoat mechanism is and how it's generally applied from a Girardian sense, or if you want to take it from some, take that somewhere else, you're, uh, I'd just be interested in your, in your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, when I was, before I encountered the uh, mimetic theory and anthropology, it felt like, you know, like, like Christianity, again, was a mental, another mental philosophy, like a Cartesian construct that, you know, you choose from, you can be, you know, and you can, you can pick different philosophies to layer, you can be a, a vegan, uh, you know, libertarian, Catholic, you know, you can layer up your philosophies, but they're all just constructs that you, you mentally assent to, and then you create this tribal identity around and you war against the other ones. And that's just stupid. You know, that's not what this is all about. And if you, you waste your whole life, you know, like I remember thinking when I was dabbling, when I was in college, looking at psychology and Carl Jung and all these different figures and thinking, you know, like this is interesting. And, you know, there's errors with that stuff, but it felt like, again, Christianity was this thing that deals with this kind of abstract thin layer of real life which is the spiritual you know good choices bad choices good ideas bad ideas about god but then you need all these other domains of knowledge these specialty knowledges to kind of fill in the rest of it you know like if you have uh, uh psychological help you i mean if you have uh, uh, issues with depression you got to go to psychology you know and then christianity can add a little layer on top of yeah there's a spiritual thing there too but it's not it's just like these little categories that are all chopped up and i think that is not what's going on and i think when you understand the medic anthropology you throw out psychology for the most part you i mean you can reintegrate some of the pieces of it back into uh, a mimetic theory approach but a lot of that's going to go to the wayside. You're going to realize uh, that, you know, traditionally the idea that if you need help, you have to go to some kind of psychologist or psychiatrist for a drug is a modern phenomenon that doesn't have to be the way it goes going forward. You know, back in the day, you would go to your church or your priest or something. You know, you would go if you had problems, if you needed help um, or, or you would. And, and again, I think a lot of what mimetic theory does is it simplifies what these specialists like psychology and psychiatry and stuff overly complicate, you know, they come up with all these bizarre constructs like the Oedipal complex. Oedipal complex is still sacrificial uh, mythology in real time. The idea that there's some kind of Oedipal complex assumes that Oedipus was guilty of the things that he was accused of in the mythology of Oedipus. And as Gerard points out that that shows how much psychology today is still founded on scapegoating. You know, so much of what, our whole self-help theory is about today is about this notion of like, of, of, uh, therapeutic, uh, therapeutic, um, uh, kind of like a, a witch hunt looking to see who in your life is the villain, you know, or who, uh, there's trauma that's been done. And, you know, and you have to scapegoat people by labeling them with different labels that this, you know, Trump is bad because he's a malignant narcissist. So once he's been labeled with that, then you can otherize him and say he's a dysfunctional human being. And therefore, we're allowed to breathe fire and hell on him more than somebody else. 
You know, Obama murdered more, uh, you know, people of color than Trump ever did. But that's okay because psychology allows us to label his weird way of talking as malignant narcissist. Therefore, he's allowed to be ostracized and otherized by the therapeutic scapegoat mechanism of our culture. You see what I mean? And so, like, that's the problem with these fields of knowledge is they're woefully inadequate about telling the truth about the world as it actually is. And they're always about disregarding the human body. That's why when Trump said, makes his, remember when he did this hand gestures and they said he was making fun of the guy, that reporter that had uh, uh, disabled. Yeah. But he did that to Ted Cruz too, but they didn't care. It was the mythic truth, right? The mythic psychological therapeutic truth that, oh, it looks like he's making fun of someone who's a victim of a disability. Therefore, that's worse than Obama literally murdering people with disabilities. What kind of a psychopathic society takes, uh, you know, a hand gesture from a guy who hadn't even done anything in government at the time he made that as a worse sin than Obama casually, smoothly murdering Libya, murdering people all over the globe, murdering people in Syria, murdering people in the wicked uh, fake Arab uprising and all these different things that he was involved with. That doesn't mean anything for the people who want to be fashionable. That doesn't mean anything for people who want to go to the cocktail parties. They don't care. They don't have to see it. They don't see those victims. They don't see the intestines exploded by the drone strike that Obama did. It's out of sight, out of mind. And those victims are sacrificed so that they can maintain their privilege and power. And then when they feel guilty about it, they go and look at a guy who's normalizing the new scapegoat du jour, which is working class white people and saying he's the problem of our time or those people are the problem of our time because they're not accepting their role as the new scapegoat. The elites. See, that's the problem. It's like. The way the elite's mythology works, it's all about, you know, well, they remind people that people like Asians or blacks and, 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 and Hispanics had been scapegoats in the history of America. And so their whole, theirs is like a kind of partial Girardianism. That's why you got to understand Girard if you want to know how to beat the establishment, okay? This is the playbook that kicks their tail and there's nothing else on the, play, on, on the market that's better than that because they're using the same kind of thing. They're using what Gerard called victimism, using the concern for victims to get power and coercion and manipulate people. And so what they're doing, what the whole transition of our culture right now is between kind of like the old civic national religion, worship of the American mythology as it was, and then this new kind of revolutionary national religion of victimism, right, where it's more like, wait a second, this was a conspiracy. The founders were monsters. They weren't saints. And you're supposed to pick between two stupid religions. You're supposed to pick, oh, I think they're saints. And then the other team says, no, they're monsters. That's your choice. And instead of just seeing them as humans, as Jesus would have them, you're not allowed to do that. There's no Republicans or Democrats offering that perspective, right? And so we're not able to talk truth about where our actual society came from, the mistakes that were made, why they made those mistakes, the revolutionary uh, zeal that led the revolutionary movement to happen in the 1776. And we're not able to talk about uh, why we're seeing a new kind of attempt to have a new revolution to overthrow the old revolution and why it has fertile ground to do so. Because the civic national religion of the past does have its blemishes and it doesn't have any proper defense mechanism against criticisms from a new revolution. Because when you're in a revolutionary spirit, you're always going to have to overthrow the old gods at some point because you can, with enough time, start to look back and see where the bodies were hid all along. 
But the problem is, is that this new movement wants to make this transition where they basically say, because this old civic religion of America used uh, black, poor black people and uh, migrant workers and Asians in different periods of time, we can point out this policy, this thing, this incident, this murder, this institutionalized, this or that, this bias, this in-group preference displayed in this policy here or there all over. They can say, well, therefore, that justifies a new scapegoat class emerging, which is going to be poor and lower middle class white men, especially in those who aspire to have traditional differentiation, right? Male and female and things like that. That's going to be the new blasphemy. That's going to be the new untouchable. We're going to punch, kick. And if you complain about the kicks, we're going to say that you are continuing the victimization of those past scapegoats, you see? So there, it's weaponizing Christianity's awareness of victims that the scapegoat, and you know, we can go back into the Girardian mechanics if you think we need to go there, but I'm kind of going into the application side of where we're at right now. But, you know, like the, um, you know, this awareness of how victims do hide under the kind of textbook fairy tales of our time. Um, it, if, if you have psychopaths that know that they can weaponize people's Christian concern for victims against them, you know, and they can use that to say, I, I use the metaphor of that Batman movie from 1991 or two with Michael Keaton, where you have Jack Nicholson's Joker and Batman's got him on the ropes and he's punching him and stuff. And then, you know, he picks up glasses and he puts on glasses, you know, Joker and says, you wouldn't hit a man with glasses, would you? And he still punches them anyways. But that's that's kind of the play that the elites use by saying, well, you wouldn't hit a disabled person when you you wouldn't hit a, a minority person. Right. You know how hard it was to deal with redlining. Do you know how hard that was? They've been suppressed, suppressed, suppressed. And so go ahead and let us force vaccinate them. You know, what the hell did you get? How did you go from there? You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait a second. So we're not allowed to talk about uh, Pfizer. We're not allowed to talk about the banks. We're not allowed to talk about wars. We're not allowed to talk about any of these things because somebody had redlining as a problem or somebody had discrimination in a job. We're not allowed to have any conversation about, you know, what Jesus would do and the way we treat our neighbors because Jesus was the ostensible religion of people who did, uh, you know, you know, segregation or something in certain places in the South. Well, it was also the religion of the people who were motivated to end those segregation uh, policies. So, but that's what you do. You, you take, and that's, and, and Gerard explains why that is. So as we become aware of victims in history, we have a tendency to kind of scapegoat the, um, we have a tendency to kind of uh, scapegoat. The victimizer. What's that? The victimizer. Yeah, we have a tendency to say, wait a second, if we uh, are in tune with the recent victims of our past, then we are the people who are truly the bullies of history. So you see what I mean? When we right. see the history, the scope of victims, the, the scope of persecutions in history, we are. Nope. Still there, Dave. Can you hear me? Oh yeah, you got a crackle, but we intercepted the transmission there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so David, do you think because you know, given the examples that you said there, it, it sounds like this seems to be coming from one side more than the other. <clears throat> but I think in general, it's it's a misdiagnosis universally. A misdiagnosis of what? 
of of the of the 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 problem with this the scapegoating thing it's it's like i is it is this something that's done on the left and the right is this a carry-on effect of the the two-party system and us being able to you know put all of our blame on the other in in the, in the political sense or is it more universal than that yes you know it's more universal than that i mean we you know the the conservatives tend to so what does it mean satan casting out satan well satan is the chaos it's the disorder it's the violent overthrow of boundaries that happens when desire is out of control and desire doesn't have a proper place to kind of ground its sense of boundaries of who we are in relation to one another when that gets chaotically out of whack it will create a, a type of chaos which can be bad and uh, that's a type of satan and then you have Satan casting that out is the solution to scapegoat or purge or dehumanize or kill um, a person or group of people who seem to be the carrier of that contagious chaos or that contagious disorder, right? Or that contagious taboo, right? And so that's, so that's how Satan maintains his kingdom in the ancient world. Um, is that when you would have, okay, so going back to the basics of Gerard, when you have mimetic desire, you have this notion that humans desire what their neighbor desires. They desire what their neighbor wants to acquire, what their neighbor signals as fashionable or uh, high status. And so when you have that, uh, that opens up the greatest opportunities for culture making, art, music, you know, you can learn from Bach and you can play like Bach or try to, you know, you can learn from someone as they develop a tool and you can do it too. And that is great. That's called positive mimesis. Negative mimesis is when you start imitating your negative vibes from your neighbor. You know, they're aggressive. You get aggressive. They're accusatory. You get accusatory. They're uh, lying. You start lying. They're antisocial. You start anti being antisocial. Uh, and we can see how that can spiral into a uh, kind of never ending loop of aggression, you know, because first I say something that offends you and then you say something that offends me. And the next time we see each other, our body language is more uh, distrustful of the other. We always believe that the other person started it first. Right. You know, I could say, well, you said that word to me that hurt my feelings. And then you can say, well, no, you were given a horrible look. Didn't you see the vibe on your face? I mean, you were given this totally rude, disrespectful look. So, yeah, technically I did say that word, but you were bringing in disrespect way before I did. And it's never ending about like, well, where do we draw the line between who was the starter of the problem and who was the, the one who was just defending themselves? We always believe that our aggression and our attitudes are in the sense uh, defense not offense. Um, and that's why you, you look at any child when they're fighting, he started it. No, they start, right. You never can say, well, actually they did start it. And I, you know, or, or actually I did start it. You know, usually you don't see those types of uh, answers. Um, so Gerard says that we, we, we desire uh, the things that our neighbor has and that when that causes conflict, it's very hard to stop that because it can spread like wildfire. Um, and, and you, you can see this in a, I always say, like, I like to use down to earth metaphors for this. Like, you know, you're in a, uh, in a high school cafeteria and one table starts fighting over somebody looking at their girl the wrong way. And before you know it, 
chairs are flying everywhere. You see these videos on Golden. Have you seen Golden Corral, the video where they're all fighting everybody? There's like a video mm. of the Corral Buffet restaurant in America. There's, there's, and, there's been a lot of fight videos yeah. out there recently. <laughs> so it's kind of hard they, to, to piece through they, which they, one. Yeah, the, me, the melee is just out of control. And it's almost like you can see it looks like a magnetic field effect. Like it just starts reverberating the energy around the entire room and everybody gets swept up into a state of adrenaline rush and cortisol. And they're just swinging and kicking and punching and stuff. Well, we can understand how you know, if, if people get caught up in negative mimetic feedback loops, that could easily spread. Imagine if you're in a much more primitive state where food is more scarce, where uh, shelter is, is not to be taken for granted, that rain and torrential floods and famines and pestilence and stuff are not as understood, that these pressures can create a lot of negative aggression and it can get out of hand to the point where we're finger pointing and the finger pointing, that vibe spreads as kind of a bad blood between everybody in the community. Now, how do you resolve that? Well, you know, Gerard says that ancient humans found a way to kind of primitively grasp at a resolution to that bad blood by saying, hey, it's this witch, it's this uh, dwarf, it's this uh, uh, this deformed person, it's this... Uh, or so goat. Yeah, this goat. Mm. And, and this is what uh, we call the, the bearer of all the uh, uh, bad blood or the the, the carrier of all the taboos uh, and we need to cast them out and they come together and they truly believe the person is guilty. It's not a cynical ploy typically where they're like, we don't believe he's guilty, but we need to do that. It's really, they truly believe that they're guilty. They truly believe that they're uh, the cause of the bad vibes and that if they can get rid of them or kill them or eat them in primitive society, they did, that would cause the problem to go away. And when they do that, when they kill or eat or devour, uh, there's a kind of cathartic release that just feels like a kind of ecstatic union with the neighbor as you devour or destroy or cast that witch off the cliff. Because it feels as if, well, we all agreed, we all truly believe that person really was causing our trouble. And now we are all relieved of that trouble. So there's a release together of kind of like a mimetic union of uh, ecstasy. And you, you know that feeling when you go see, a, maybe not as much anymore, movies have lost their luster, but you know, when you would watch a really good movie where a villain would be destroyed, you come out of that theater with your friends, you kind of feel like in a state of high. Have you ever remembered that? Mm -hmm. We were just so, like, Man, it was so awesome. We're going to have to think I mean, about you, it. You brought up wrestling. I mean, the whole heel versus baby face, you know, getting yeah. heat, that, the whole mechanism for wrestling kind of rests on that idea. Like the, the more heat the, the heel can generate the 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 more the, the more powerful the comeback will be you know the the the, the more satisfying the, uh, the 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 baby faces uh, uh win will be um you know yeah i it, i mean you did uh, <laughs> right there you've just outlined all the all the mechan all the Girardian mechanisms way better than i ever have um only because my brain tends to go in tangents so i get i get halfway through even listening to you i was like my brain was like, oh, and then there's a, you know, da, da, da. it's what, what I love about Gerard is that he's the, the concepts themselves are very simple um, or elegant, I should say. And then as soon as you start to think about them or you explore them more through his work, you realize how deep and complex they are and how they're into everything, um, you know, especially with that. What you, you mentioned with um, the scapegoat bring catharsis uh, and this is kind of, you know, when Gerard gets into the Gospels and talks about 
the about how Christ, um, how the Christ story is a new truth. That's it's bigger than just if it happened or didn't happen exactly the way it was detailed. Um, it's it's because the the truth of the story changes everything. Uh, and I, I I brought this up online to quite a quite a bit, or even in conversations with uh, uh, in, you know in real life conversations, is that people don't understand two two major things that um, basically every single civilization pre pre Christ had some sort of blood sacrifice ritual, whether it be with animals or with actual human beings. The Greeks did, the Romans did, you know, the list goes on. Uh, the Vikings, everyone. Uh, Anyone, when a, when a culture adopted Christianity, however, within a generation, those sacrifices stopped. Uh, you know, uh, there was no more child, child sacrifice or blood sacrifice or throwing virgins into volcanoes and all that kind of stuff. It just stopped completely, um, which is a massive change. Like, you can think of whatever, you, if, if, it's, if it's just a story, it's a very powerful story. Um, and so, again, Gerard gets into that concept and and one of the things one of the sort of white pills he throws out is that idea that that the resurrection essentially broke the scapegoat mechanism by introducing the victim that we don't we we, that humanity didn't have a concept of the victim before christ not in the way that we we do now and it's it's a it's a it's a really almost perverse inversion of the christian ethos to now use this victim um, uh, mechanism to to essentially upend Christ. To this is like almost essentially the the whole nature of Antichrist is to take the good of Christ and flip it on its head, uh, right. which is kind of where we're at here. the The hope, the the solace, I guess we get out of it is that we that it's still broken. We don't get to catharsis anymore, which is why it's spinning out of control. You know, after the whole last few years. Uh, with a medical emergency that we all had to suffer through, uh, you know, they tried scapegoating the the unvaxxed as much as they could, and it just never. And they came pretty close, and in some places closer than not, but it never really stuck. And and it it's it's like because it, it never gave people that sense of of safety and 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 catharsis that it's supposed to give them. And you know, I don't know if if that's overly hopeful because i think they're going to keep going <laughs> and i think that keep going the, yeah who's going to keep going um we can call them whatever <laughs> the WMAD leads the the uh the globalists the people who 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 uh who uh who uh who seem to be calling the shots on this one yeah i mean they're they're just a reflection of i you know they they have weapon they have villainized differentiation this is what you were asking me to talk about earlier yeah they have villa- this is something that i don't see a lot of gerard fans talking about a lot and that's something i've I, tried to emphasize you know i think you're the only one i've heard and again i, I don't know where you talked about it, where, where, i don't remember where i first heard you talk about it. i tried to in preparation of this talk i tried to find it again and i and i couldn't but um yeah please Doug, just lay it on us man differentiation I think, uh, I think this is the heart of how the the power works and it's not a conspiracy it's more like okay if when jesus says you know when he reveals um he reveals himself and he reveals the nature of god and the nature of mankind 
uh, it presents humanity with a choice. And that's what a neighbor's choice is about, which is this idea of like, you're either going to, you're either going to make it or you're going to fail, you know, because if you, because once the, you know, the bumpers of, if you're playing bowling and you're a kid, you need the bumper so you can get it down the lane and get a few, uh, you know, pins knocked over. Scapegoating and sacrifice was a, as a kind of grace, even though it was a mistake that human main, humankind made, God was able to have a kind of grace through it to, to prepare us for the true uh, end of sacrifice, the inversion of the, uh, of the scapegoat mechanism and the deification of the victim. That's what Revelation is about, where they look for a roaring lion and what's revealed at the end of history is a slain lamb. Okay. If you don't have an anthropology understanding that you're just often esoteric symbols that really don't get you anywhere to actually understand how history is unfolding. Not only is Christianity the birth of the victim and the, and not only does Christianity change the word sacrifice, not only does Christianity change the word scapegoat, but it also changes the word medicine, like pharmacos. It also changes the word uh, and gives us the concept of an individual person. You know, uh, David Bentley uh, Hart, who I've disagreed with, and you know, but he makes a point about. He's a theologian. He makes a point about when you see that text where it talks about Peter weeping. You know, like we don't understand how radical of a text that is in the time in which it's written, in which we are concerned with the emotional and psychological state of a fisherman. You know, like we 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 just we are just arrogant brats who have inherited such deep, deep radical transformation in history. And we misrecognize it because again, we don't even understand mimetic desire, right? So we think everything we desire just comes from ourselves, you know. Sam Harris thinks, hey, I just truly believe that humans need to be good. And you know what I mean? Like he doesn't understand. He, he, he's the most religionist guy you can find. You know what I mean? This guy doesn't get it. He is thoroughly, in the true sense of the word religio, this to bind together. He is bound up in a lot of sacred cows and he likes sacrificial violence if necessary to maintain that sense of cathartic unity. Um, but you know, anyways, back to the differentiation thing. So differentiation can be the occasion of sacrifice. And in fact, is the occasion for sacrifices to take place uh, uh, when, okay, so for example, you know, you're in a sea of sameness and someone is really short, you know, they're a little dwarf. If you got a tribe of 50 people and one guy is born as a little dwarf, he's going to be in real trouble to be sacrificed unless he's got a big posse of people willing to get his back, you know, and protect him. Or if he's a, a giant, you know, he's he born eight foot, everybody else or seven foot or something, everybody else is, uh, you know, five foot something. Man, that guy better watch out, you know, because when things are getting out of control, you're going to look at that big guy and say, that guy don't look right. You know, he don't, he don't fit in. Or you got a really ugly face, or maybe you got a, uh, a club foot like Oedipus did. Or you got an ugly face like Medusa, right? So Gerard says that we don't invent our gods, we deify our victims. And the reason why we deify them, it's important to point, talk about this point just a little bit, which is that when they bring us together, it's such a transformative release because we were at each other's throats before and now we're resolved. That it feels as if they've come to teach us a salvation lesson. And that's why if you look at mythology, a lot of the gods, their early exploits are mischievous and devious. 
They're banging goats. They're doing mischief. They're, they're, they're sticking their fingers where they shouldn't stick them. You know what I'm saying? They're going nuts. They're breaking all kinds of boundaries of differentiation. But then in the later stories, they're saving the humanity from a, a plague, right? And, and these are misremembering. This is kind of like a misrecognition. And it's, a, it's something that happens through oral tradition and through telling the story. But ultimately, it's about describing in a way why the thing happened the way it did. Why did it take us coming together to murder this person? And why did this person come amongst us? And why were they different? Could it be that they were a God? Could it be that they were here to teach us something about how to get along? Could it be that they were to show us the way of resolving tensions whenever we have a famine or a plague again when we were at each other's throats? Could it be that they were there to show us why we should not break these taboos? That's why we don't do bestiality. That's why we don't do incest. You know? Could it be that those were just, they were showing us uh, examples of what not to do so that we wouldn't trigger a symbol of uh, a state of chaos where there is no right or wrong, there is no boundaries of self, property rights are dissolved, everything's just up in a state of aggression and, and, and warring all against all. And so that experience of profound togetherness and unity gets remembered as when maybe they were a god, maybe they're capricious, maybe they have a good chaotic side and they also have a, like the god Janus, you know, maybe they can be good and bad. And that's how most gods are, you know, in terms of our mythology. That's how most politicians really are too. They have good things and bad things and they're allowed to break taboos that we're not. They're allowed to steal with, you know, Hunter Biden. They get away with that because they're a sacrificial icon. They can be you know, purged by the mob in a kind of uh, mock ritual sacrifice through, you know, what elections are or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. But elections are starting to lose their luster now. So now they have to threaten to get everybody imprisoned by the deep state, you know, you know, the FBI and all this with Trump and Biden. And that's like you see the election catharsis is losing its power. So they have to come up with something more than just elections to vilify the, the scapegoats of the politicians that we the, the scapegoat kings of our poli that, that, that politicians are. But going back to the differentiation. So so differentiation can be the occasion for sacrifice, but it doesn't mean that differentiation alone is, 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 is evil. But what the victimism, what this leftist or globalist or whatever impulse is basically feeling in the dark is that when they look back at history, because Christianity allows us to see our, our victims, but allows us to see the victims of our more recent past easier than our ancient past, right? That's why today when you go to mythology class in university, you're not hearing <laughs> uh, ancient Babylonians being accused of white supremacy or some other stupid, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not being vilified for what the hell they were doing. The Persians who, who would stick live sacrifices inside of a, of a wooden log and, let, and pour honey all over their body and let maggots eat their bodies alive, that's what they would do to torture people, the Persian Empire. We're not hearing about that being deconstructed by uh, black women's studies professors. You know what I mean? They're not doing that it, because we, we have we go after the awareness of victims kind of in a delayed effect. We don't want to go back to the heart of it and say we're all indicted by this violence. We're all indicted. That's what Christianity teaches us to do. That's what the human that the, the, the fallen nature of mankind and the, and, and the idea of of uh, fallibility and, and sin comes into play. Uh, we don't want that. We just want to say, well, we, we can see it's like a decoder ring. Christianity is like a decoder ring. It allows us to see 
victims, but it kind of has a delayed effect because we're slow to learn. So we just kind of, we focus in on the, the victims of our most recent past, like our ancestors, our great, our granddaddy's victims, our daddy's victims, our great granddaddy's victims, our great, great granddaddy's victims. And if granddaddy liked the founding fathers, then we better look at the founding fathers too, right? And see their victims, right? But it doesn't let us see 5,000 years ago victims, right? Mm. <laughs> it doesn't let us see, uh, you know, that's why we can't look at African uh, slavers enslaving people from Poland. Well, that's too far back. They'll say you'll literally say that if you bring that up. Well, no, no, you're just trying to you're just trying to obfuscate what 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 white people did. No, I mean, let's talk about what humans do when they have advantage. Let's talk about what human sin does when it has in group preference and the means to which to oppress somebody else. Well, I think but they that's, can't and, talk about that because they're not Christian. Well, I think they're that's, not Christian. I think they haven't repented of their scapegoating. Well, the danger we're at right now is because we've removed Christ out of uh, the model. Christ is no longer the, the social social model and hasn't been for multiple generations now, uh, depending on where you want to set that. <laughs> you know, either, either it's, you know, post-enlightenment or, or the last 150 years, whatever, wherever you want to uh, place that. Uh, we've, we're now starting to see the deteriorous effects of no Christ model. If we can't model... Uh, the the most perfect human if we have we if if we're left without that um uh, you know uh, model to, to to shoot for that ideal we're all, we're only left with man and we're fallible and we're we're mess <laughs> so so now we're starting to see you know all the things that we were warned about by the crazy christian rights uh writers in the in the 80s come on home because because you know, you can think of think of those, that movement, whatever you want, or Christian nationalism, whatever you want. But they were right on on certain moral claims that if you start to take these things away, if you if you take if you take away, um, if you take Christ out of, the, out of the picture, then you're left with a vacuum, and the vacuum is as everything we're seeing now. You know, with with now with with clear demon imagery being being done at the, at the Grammys uh, in front of everybody, and you're and we're supposed to just accept that you know not not see that um or or just take that as as normal uh and if you have a problem with that obviously there's something wrong with you uh it's uh it's uh it's it's right in your face now and i think that's it's an interesting place to be because i don't think we have experienced this exactly in a very very long time and well if you um, look at it sort of societally i think there's even more grave uh, things to come if you, you could say that what christianity does is is put the blame on the universal condition and if you remove that then you have you, you know you blame specific groups and there's obviously one group that's sort of being signaled singled out and and demonized currently and with what i think are is quite likely worse times to come in the if not immediate then the, the near future without without being able to place the blame correctly uh in a universal and individual level and if, if it's going to get put on one group there could be you know maybe our job is to try and stop that from happening well our job we have to just realize that like when jesus came into history he came in in a place where they were being screwed over by their own populace, the Pharisees, by their elites, the Sadducees, by this Roman occupying power. 
So they had all the same problems we had. They were worse, right? In a lot of different ways. They were very worse in many different ways. Um, in some ways, we have it worse than they did, I guess, if you think about it. But most of it tangibly was worse than where we're at, right? And so Jesus came into that situation, and he didn't say, I'm making a deal with the Pharisees, man. That's the best I could do. You know, he, he doesn't say, I'm going to vote for Mitt Romney. You know, I'm not, or mm -hmm. Mitt Romney's not a Pharisee, but I'm not, I'm going to just hitch my train ride to the Trump bandwagon. He didn't say, I'm going to go with the, uh, you know, some kind of third party like the Essenes, you know what I mean? And just go out and be a little niche. You know, he didn't do that. He, he did something completely different that changed the whole game. And we're living in the repercussions of that. And he said, I've come to bring a sword. And that sword is cutting through all the different scapegoat uh, united camps. And it's a real tricky situation. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out how to articulate this as I go. I know that the libertarian project is not the answer. I know that the nationalist project is not the answer. I know the populist project is not the answer. I know conservative Inc. is not the answer. I don't know what the answer is, but Jesus, I don't know what it exactly looks like. I'm still trying to understand how to actually practice it out. I don't think it's about hating everybody and saying, I'm not libertarian and I'm not this and I'm not nationalist. And I'm, I don't, you know what I mean? I think you did, you do need to work with people where they're at. Um, Jesus did that, you know, I mean, but uh, I'm not sure what the actual, what it will look like on a practical level. I do know that there are some things that I'm trying to help mo uh, model for people, which is, okay, how do you get the masses to pay attention? If you want to tell people, don't be a tranny, you know, they, they, they are modeling role models who appear to have the clout and status and, um, and the it factor of their culture, you know, I mean, the people are listening to people to do tranny stuff because they believe the people who tell them to do tranny stuff as a kid are the smartest people in the room. Right. And why are they the smartest people in the room? Because they capture all the institutions and they have all the great avant garde, uh, you know, profound uh, secret uh, knowledge. Uh, yeah, they know how to drop the bombs and say, "Oh my goodness, wow! I didn't even think about that. I could have a seven, I could have a seven genders at once. My God, I mean, that's that's a that's like a conspiracy theory, but it's backed up by Hollywood and glitz and glamour and all the cool people and all the popular people say that. And so, what you have to do is meet people where they're at. So, we, what did Jesus do? He performed signs and wonders. He did not show up into the scene of history and just start teaching his hard truths. He had to meet people where they're at. So this guy's blind. We heal that blind. We heal this paralysis. We heal this leper. And all of those were down payments on his authority by which he could then tell the hard truth, right? And that's what we need to understand, how we, his body on earth, if we're going to imitate his role model, that means we are to do what he did when he was on earth and take it further. He said we will do greater things than he. He's just waiting for us to show up in our own way and, and make make good on that promise, right? Which is, okay, we need to perform signs and wonders. Conservative movements and, or whatever you want to call anti-establishment movements should be talking not about, uh, you know, esoteric policy alone. There's a place, I guess, for that, but it should be primarily about how do we cure cancer and not about, oh, some stupid new drug that, you know, is going to take fucking 20 years to come up with and, and, and patent and all this stuff. But like, look around with drugs that we already have in the public domain, look around dietary science and what it actually says and give people tangible, specific, easily affordable, everybody can use it 
tools to make cancer go bye-bye. And then like own that and go for it and be confident and don't say I'm scared. I don't want to say it because I just don't want to, I don't know enough about that science. No, it's not what, you know, that's not how Jesus would do it. It doesn't mean go off to some stupid potion that some gimmick pseudoscience, you know, quack comes up with, but really understand these things and, and, and subdue these diseases because I think they're not that hard to subdue when we understand what causes them. So that's a way that we can literally perform signs and wonders to get the population to say, okay, I want to hear more about what you have to say about why we should not be nihilists. You know, I want to, I mean, you guys just cured my, my, uh, my dad's diabetes. You guys just cured my mother's cancer. I want to hear more. You're, and it won't happen fast. It'll happen like your communities are not having these diseases. I want to know more. And then if we're the ones to bring in the Nikola Teslas of the world, I mean, Nikola Tesla was inspired by Jesus. Nikola Tesla's dad was an Orthodox priest. You know, you know, Tesla was, should be, people like that should be considered more about like the saints of the church, like people who say, okay, we're going to light up the world. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't like the way the traditional reactive Christianity movements are all about scared. They're scared of technology. You know, they're always saying, well, everything good, also has a downside. Well, then that's like a slave mentality where you say, okay, we're just going to stick with this destructive, you know, decaying status quo and stay on the master's plantation because my God, if we get out of this, there's alligators down in the, in the rivers. Oh, there's mosquitoes, there's disease. There's another master who could catch us. I mean, my God, why should we try to do anything better than what we've got? That kind of stupid learned victim mentality is what dominates all the different forms of conservatism, including these supposedly radical traditionalists, you know, they're terrified. You know, I'm tired of these people. They're they're scared. The devil, you know, the devil, you know, can can become the the devil you are. So you can, no, that's brilliant. You know, Um, that's, that's the first time I've had someone give me an actual sort of clear vision. If, If you want to resolve the calamity, because people are judged by their, what they do. And when, when, if you're looking at the church externally and seeing a bunch of scared complainers, it's not very attractive. And there's no message there. They're with, if they're just scapegoating on the, in their own way and, exactly. and, and being All fearful, you, maybe, yeah, maybe what, if you want to, if you want to actually spread the message, exactly what you said, David, do the works, right? We, we, conservatives yeah. will look back and say, Oh, the Christian ethic built Western civilization. Well, okay. That's great. What are you building? Yeah, if, you if, if you're exactly. not the shining city, people aren't going to be attracted to it. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. And we have to just we we have to embody the truth, embody and incarnate the truth, and stop just reacting and criticizing. When we criticize, mm-hmm. all we're doing is we're stuck in the world of mentalism. We're still stuck in whatever you want to call it, narcissism, whatever. Where you're all up in this disembodied framework of ideas, where you say, uh, "Hey, I think." Uh, uh, neocons are corrupt, or I think that these, uh, you know, liberals are corrupt. And, and this is ridiculous. These people are frauds and so forth, but you don't have an actual solution for it. Right. And, and, and I think that's what Christians should be thinking. We should be thinking about incarnational truth. Incarnational truth says, okay, yeah, Hunter Biden is corrupt. But am I just going to tell you that? That's why I'm going to quit radio, bro. I'm tired of talking about the news. I'm going to roll up, please. We're going to do anthropology all the way on my show. We're going to do science. 
We're going to just double down on the hard stuff. We're going to double down. I'm not an expert. I'm not an engineer, but I'm going to meet with the engineers and give them a platform and connect them to the people that need to hear their ideas. And guess what? These Nikola Teslas are weird, man. When you find them, they're going to be misfits. They're going to have weird personality quirks. They're going to be rude. They're going to be delusional. Some of them are going to be cranks and frauds. And you got to be able to sift through that. But that's what Christians need to be doing right now. We need to be having an American Idol search for Teslas, for Galileos, for, uh, you know, Henry Ford's, you know, Henry Ford didn't believe in having a, a business based on debt and finance. He believed in actually serving your fellow human being. He saw it as a kind of ministry that it wasn't primarily about profit, but rather serving your fellow human being. And the profit was almost like a side effect that showed you were doing it in a way that was effective. He didn't believe in financialization of the economy like what we have today. But the only way we beat the financialization of the economy, the only way we get past this debt-based, paper-pushing, fake economy is incarnating truth. We need to have our, our cities built with ocean water powering our HOAs. We need to have 24-7 energy panels that we are using. So if you want TV, you don't have to plug it in. The whole material of the TV's casing is, is harvesting energy 24-7 and powering your TV. We need to have anti-gravity. We need to have our levitation devices so that we don't have to change our tires. And if the Christian who do that show up with that stuff and they're loving their wives and they're loving their children and they're changing the world, the whole world will stop and pay attention and the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the ocean is wet. So let's get to work. Yeah. That's all we got to do. No, that's great. That was the, <laughs> one of my criticisms, sorry, Jay, is, is yeah, you know, it's again with the, the approach, if Christians, instead of debunking climate change, we're out there innovating for ways to at least solve pollution, that's a much more attractive exactly. message than just, you know, complaining. So yeah, bang on. Let's Dave. imagine that. All, let's imagine all three of us were in a venture that like created low temperature ocean water or, or tap water powered energy that could power our HOA, our little neighborhoods, our little communities re relentlessly with water. What would Klaus Schwab's candy ass have to say right. about that? What would, what the hell can they say? <laughs> Oh, we're going to hold you keep slobbering, bro. You're done. You're out. You lost. You lost. Your ideas are dead. Your gods are dead. We slayed your problem better than you could. You're over. Because we're not chopping dicks over here. We solved the energy problem and we kept our dicks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're not doing this gimmick like they do, you yeah. know, where they're, oh, if you want to have the energy, you must eat the bugs. I'm going to eat my steak. I'm going to solve pollution. We're going to cure these diseases, and our communities will be the difference. Mm. You know, our, our incarnational truth will shock the world. Everyone will want to say, I want to be like them. Right. The Einsteins of the world will be the Christians, the Galileos, you know, they will be the Christians and medicine and health, transportation, innovation, all these different things. That's what we're supposed to do. So that's the down payment. We need to convert Elon Musk, essentially. That's what I'm hearing. Well, David, Elon we're, Musk, at, we're, we're at the hour mark. Musk, Elon yep. Musk is still operating under the same old framework. We need to go beyond that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's the general gist. We need to have the musks of the world imitating the deep love of Jesus Christ in the way they run their lives, you know? And we need to invent cars that don't run on coal.
<laughs> exactly. David, thank you so much. This, this has been amazing. Um, it's everything I was hoping for and, and much more. Uh, let the people know again where we where they can find you, uh, and we will uh, we will end it there. Thanks, David. Thank you. It's a neighborschoice.com, or you can search my name, David Gronoski, in uh, your favorite podcla- podcast or uh, Rumble and subscribe there. Thank you. Oh, hey, man. No, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, open invitation. Come back anytime. Uh, let us know how you're, uh, how you're progressing. Um, I'm a big fan of your stuff. I, I, you know, I'm a, uh, I try to be as frequently listening as possible. It's always, you know, it's, it's a, your attention gets thrown out everywhere. And I have a two-year-old, which I is usually my, my, uh, my excuse for, <laughs> for missing things. Um, but, uh, no, this has been amazing, man. Again, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. And for us, it's, of course, we're on YouTube, we're on Rumble. Um, check out your iTunes, uh, Spotify, Anchor FM, most podcatchers. Uh, we're, we're out there, we're growing. And uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll, t- we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.